if Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's first. Blah blah blah. Sending out good vibes. We describe it as possession and we feel that as a physical thing, you know, we take the mushrooms, we put the music on and then we feel, you know, our bodies begin to shake and all sorts of crazy stuff happens and then suddenly, you know, you're up dancing and speaking in, speaking in languages. Okay guys, welcome back to the America Show, episode 553, shebang, I don't know if that's a fancy number, we'll be at 555 soon and we did have our nine year anniversary a little while back. I don't think any of you sent in like a anniversary donation. Kind of fucked up. But anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to chat with um, Glenn and Mick a little bit later. Psilocybin shamans. And uh, this one, this one is uh, a doozy. It uh, starts off a little wild and it really sort of, you know, it, it uh, finds its flow, finds its flow. Uh, it turns out to be a fantastic chat with these guys who really are doing some important work down under in uh, down Australia way, I guess. Yeah, in Sydney. Yeah, can I? I mean, I wasn't sure if I should even put Sydney, but I did put their email on the show notes um, in case uh, anybody local does want to go through this. They do like uh, these uh, ceremonies every every Friday for he- healing, and they put a lot of people through it. I mean, I, I do want to mention. A little bit about Glenn. What he wanted to mention this, uh, he didn't get a chance to, but he, he doesn't know I'm I'm going to say this. But just to bring a little bit more context around the process, he, he there was a lot more that he did want to talk about, like the vibration of his chants, and he believes it's like a harmony. Like hear the kookaburras sing the same, the crickets sound the same. It's the same continuous sound, but different versions of the spirit. It's like using the same beat in a way as it sings. So when he goes deeper into this trance, he comes back sounding different, but the same beat. There was heaps that he wanted to get into with the Icaros uh, from Peru. And they have the same beat as these chants too. It's like the mushrooms have unlocked something maybe with a bit of help from the ayahuasca, but it's super interesting. So I just wanted to read that a little bit more context on what Glenn, like how he feels and what he's kind of doing when he, embarks in this spontaneous like chanting and dancing and helping people purge helping people purge i mean it's pretty interesting mighty mighty king of the bushes he (laughs) did you guys sing that song i I think think that was like a cub scout song or something like that yeah i think so how can we sing it about australia i mean i wonder if it's the same song and all the cub uh What about the other one? Uh, what was the other one we used to sing? Where's uh, Still the Mighty Moose? Well, yeah, yeah, that's that exactly yeah. the song I was thinking of. Wow, uh, how did it? we know that? You know why? Because I used to scare, when, when we drove out west in 78, start, we, uh, home of the beaver, of land the of the wilderness, moose, home of the beaver. Home yeah. of the beaver. <laughs> no, land of the something, home of the beaver. Mighty Where's Moose. Where's Still the Mighty Moose wanders oh. at will. 
Yeah. And Blue we used Lake to say Mighty Moose. It used to I will freak my sister out. More. Boom shakalak or something like that, right? Yeah. My my sister was like five in the car and she used to freak out when we'd say, Where's still the Mighty Moose? And because I, I guess we were driving through the woods in Ontario, probably. Like, what about, yeah. uh, because uh, the moose were freaky for kids, you know? There's one monsters. where we screamed fire, I remember. Fire, fire, fire. Well, no, cow kicked it over. He, old Lady Leary lit a lantern in the shed of when the cow kicked it over. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> that. A hot time in the old time. <laughs> he doesn't do that. What about the song that never ends? I don't know that one either. This is a song that never ends. It just goes on and on, my friend. Some people started singing it a long, long time ago and now continue singing it forever just because this is the song that... And they're just, you know... Is that from a movie or something? No, we sang it at camp. Really? Yeah. That one, and then there's the fire one, the lantern, and the shed. I guarantee you some of the listeners have heard these songs. I mean, you are quite a bit older than me. So you guys might have been singing different songs. Yeah, maybe. You look like yeah. you got sun. You, I mean, you've got like eight or nine days in a row, almost ten days in a row, being out and 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 getting things done. You must feel great. But what do you mean? Yeah, I feel good. Well, except Kat the government called me out. three times we'll a day. Say, but, just block them. Well, just block them. The government. Yeah, the government's bugging me. But um, no, I feel them. good. Yeah, yeah, of course. So we went out out today. I've been walking Zeus though. He's been he got in a big fight today with a cat out. I have him on his lead outside the front door. So he got in a fight on his leash. Fuck. Yeah. Was the other and cat just, not on his leash? No. So and I fucking caught kicked. it early, and I ran out there, and I'm like, Zeus, Zeus, come here. So and the other cat kicked the shit out of him. He's hissing at me. He's got, well, he, Zeus actually ran after him and jumped on him. And then they did that typical, like, cartoon ball of fur rolling around, just. <sighs> and then he came back in and he's hissing at all the other cats in the house here and hissing at me. And he was just <laughs> losing it. He was just freaking out. Like, I felt terrible for the guy. He well, just, you should. You've got him out there. The other cats are calling him names. I guarantee <laughs> He's you. got a fucking harness on him. He's and- finally had enough of the local cats making fun of him. And then you bring him in the house and he's mad at you guys too because those other cats in the house are probably making fun of him. And you've done this to him. So, I mean, I got to side with Zeus on this one. He likes going out for walks. We went out for a walk today. He's, oh, he, my he likes God. It. I need to stake your house out and get a picture of you walking this cat. <laughs> <laughs> this is something I need to do. So what do you got? You're back from Montana. You're on quarantine. Actually, you broke quarantine today. Came out and shot some arrows. Lost a bunch of arrows. And, uh, well, we know. Well, I got, I got lots of stuff to read here. I mean, I got... I got kind of a, a post that I want to read a, and a post from a listener that I wanted to read. And then I've got, uh, um, uh, uh, um, I've got a, a quote, sort of like a, a couple pages from hints of esoteric theosophy, which is now available on audio. It's about Ooh. the theosophical letters going back and forth from their, uh, their newsletter from the 1800s. It's a pretty interesting book. Um, so yeah, I got I got that kind of stuff. Yeah. In the twenty twenties, you can sign up for our newsletter from the twenty twenties. So, do you want to let him know uh, who the archer champion is, or should I? Well, you. I mean, you are. I mean, you, yeah, you're the archery champion. Yeah, you've. You've. I mean, I don't even. I can't even blink with that proper eye. Like I have a lot of. I don't, I don't even know. have a I sight to go. I don't even have a sight to, to I mean, it was good we got out today because you're a mess. 
So it's good that you didn't go too long just like doing, I don't know what you're doing. You're just like eyeballing the arrow and just like, fuck it. Oh yeah, just going with the void. Not you using know, the, the uh, peephole. Going with the void, just the intuition, you know, yeah. like they used to do in the old days before they, they had compound that. bows. No, they didn't do that. They used their skill as bowsmen to shoot things. They didn't just like shoot it into the void and hope for the best. <laughs> the ones that did didn't live long enough to procreate, so we don't know what happened to them. They might have been really good void shooters once in a while. <laughs> so, what do you got? What do you want to start with? What do you got for me to play as a jingle? Um, well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've got this long quote from the audiobook, and I've got a couple posts that I want to read that are kind Is of freedom-based, you know? They're kind oh, of, and boy. you've destroyed my, you've, you've, what do we call it when you step on my toes on Instagram? Because like I've sort of been controlling the Instagram account, except that you put these whenever you think you've got a funny meme or whatever, then you just push it through the I storm Instagram and push it through. Storm it. So what do we call that? When you now you're getting, you know, now you're getting people riled up about this RV Roe versus Wade thing. I mean, I don't even want to get into all that. Stuff. I don't want to get into it either. But well, then why did you post something about it? I because mean, I just want to poke the bear. <laughs> so now I got to deal with all the comments and stuff. Right? I, you know, I don't give a fuck if I'm being perfectly honest. I have probably, you know, I'm not saying anything, but you know, I'm I'm not against eh, eh, not against I, it. So I appreciate I appreciate that. I'm I don't have an opinion on it either. There's a real nuance to think there. Business. It's not it's just but whatever everybody can have their own opinion. That's fine. There's not there's a total nuance. It's just it to me it's rage spiraling, right? Like Sal Sal had a great po post about it too. He's just talking about how it's just just manufactured rage spiraling. You know, everybody's just raging about they don't even really understand what's going on and they're raging about it on both sides. Like so, if, uh, you know, there's a time and a place where it's probably not a bad idea. Another time and a place where it's probably not a great idea. And uh, yeah, I don't exactly. know any of the fucking details, so I'm just going to shut the fuck up. My only point is, if you weren't saying my body, my choice, when people were trying to poke me with a fucking needle so that I could go and eat, then I don't want to fucking hear it. Shut the yeah. fuck up. Yeah. Because you've lost your fucking standing or whatever yeah. you call it, whatever it's not standing. credibility, you've or lost whatever, your credibility, right? you've lost whatever the fuck. So just shut the fuck up. That's all I'm saying. Because I see a lot of it. I see it everywhere. I see a, a, a lot of it everywhere. The people that were okay with me being ostracized against. Yeah. You know, that are very much not. And I was saying this a year and a, a year ago when they were saying that, I was saying, where the fuck are the my body, my choice people right now? Don't got much to say. Well, now they're back. And, you know, I'm with you. Yeah. But where were you when I needed you? So, yeah. That's all I'm saying. I'm not against it. But as soon as you post that, now you're against it. I'm against it. I'm not against it. I'm just fucking saying you didn't have my back. But now you want my support. Anyway. I've said too right, much well already. I've so said then, too much already. Spam gram, I know. com. Yeah, send me all the hate mail. That's okay. fine. Send me all the feedback. That's fine. Gramacramerica.com. Your experiences, your stories, your sightings, your synchronicities. And send me the stuff. support. Gramerica.ca slash support. So I can I continue got, to I pay Graham. 
I got some fantastic emails from some listeners, but it, it's it's too deep. The rabbit hole is too deep, and I can't even read them on the air. Like I, I'm trying to find a way to get him to like, but he doesn't want me to read it, so I can't really even read it on the air. But it's deep stuff, like deep, like That's deep. Why stage. The social media is good because you can just dump whatever you want in there, and I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Well, then let's talk about, uh, so this is a listener, I think, of the show. She at least follows us on Instagram. I can, oh, I want right. to read this post out. Already? It's a, it's a really, is what? it from today already? No. No, no, okay. no, no, no. This is, but I'm, I've been let's saving this on. for the show. Let's it's just, it, okay. it hit me in the fields. You so know? what jingle? Oh, the fields. We got, is this a freedom? Is there a field jingle? Well, <laughs> I wish I had a jingle of you crying. That would be the one. That would be the fields jingle for sure. But. Uh, there would probably be drumming involved. I don't think there has to be. No, there doesn't. Even just a Kate Bush song will I do it. I think you were crying the other day, like almost Even, crying during a new tweet. You were close. I? Yeah, I think was so. I? I think do you remember so. what interview it was? Was it Nick, Mick, and was it Mick? Was it this one? It might have been this one. I don't think it was this one. All right. Because this is about recovery and addiction, too. We get into all that. But it's pretty interesting in interview. Tolly, around the Echo Tolly Whisperer. Oh my god, yeah. Was that that one, maybe? And now another edition of the Grime American Goodies by the people. All the people. Okay, I, I I have to just caveat this. I haven't read this in a few weeks since you posted it. So. Oh boy. Oh boy. I hope I hope it's not like totally inappropriate now. Um now. Yeah, I think it's about let me let me just what's the title of it? It's uh Am I black pilled? And Tommy and I were talking about this um, when we were driving around in Montana on our trip about what is black pilled and the definition of it and stuff. So, so here she goes. Um, it was when I watched my countrymen rise up, only to be ripped down again with violence, frozen bank accounts, the imprisonment of peaceful political dissidents, some still locked up. And a make-believe narrative based on a podcaster's joke meme, which went all the way up to the Senate, I may add, that I knew we were fucked. It was my black pill moment. And while I write this, the parasite class hashtag is still making burning eye contact with us, pantsless, flopping their flaccid wieners up and down while melting the words, what you going to do about it? Being black pilled feels less doomer than I thought and more like an acceptance of reality. I've accepted that we're not going to turn this ship around via the old methods that we once believed in. I've accepted that life is going forward is going to be difficult in ways that most of us are not accustomed to. On a personal level, I've accepted that I'm unable to act in the self-preserving preparatory way that I want to because I'm poor. I did the best I could within my means, stressed the fuck out about it and cried many times. But at the end of the day, I'm still a sitting duck. It is what it is. I've stopped listening to the propagandized diarrhea that comes out of our politicians' mouths. It's full-on trolling now, and I'm no longer giving them my energy. I've also minimized the time I spend consuming play-by-play doom porn. That phase is over. We're in it now. We know. I've done my best to refocus on myself and my pre-clown world goals. The light stuff helps balance out the heavy, and I've been feeling better. I've done well at laughing my way through post-2020 Canada and creating joy where I can. But I've let the darkness phys- but I've let the darkness psychically distract me too. 
This is their most powerful weapon. They bank on it. They fap to it, feed off the soul energy. They reap again and gain more control from it. It will be difficult to stay in the zone as they tighten the noose, but I'll do my best. Best case scenario is we turn this around and I haven't totally allowed them to hijack my life. Worst case scenario is I spend my remaining days of semi-freedom investing in myself and the potential for a better life. That's low job uh, underscore L O J O B. Wait, that's a, what was? Wait, read that last bit again. The the best case, worst case. Yes. It'll be difficult to stay in the zone as they tighten the noose, but I'll do my best. Best case scenario is we turn this around and I haven't totally allowed them to hijack my life. Worst case scenario is I spend my remaining days of semi-freedom investing in myself and the potential for a better life. Let's seem like good options. What? Let's seem like good options. Yeah, yeah. She's... That's what I think she's getting at is she's kind of just like this black. This is, you know, her black pill seems more like an acceptance of what's going on than a total doom. You know, I don't think just because you've acknowledged the fact that nobody's going to save you is black pill, though. Well, maybe it is. That's yeah, that's sort of what they're that's sort of what they're defining it as. I don't know what the definition is. I'm just a humble podcaster. Not while well, I could be humbler, probably not as humble as I used to be. How about another one? Another you, one? You, yeah, another uh, post here that I want to read. It's kind of on the same vein, so I figured it might as well. Same vein or yeah. same artery? You, this artery. It's an artery or a vein? Or it's, it's both. And now, another adventure in coffee <laughs> enemas. Oh, come on. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, this is called You Are Not Alone. To all my conspiracy theory friends. Yes, sometimes it is a curse, not a blessing to be awake. Awakening is the most liberating, alienating, excruciating, empowering, lonely, confusing, freeing, frightening, expansive journey. If you find yourself struggling as you try to process all this insanity, you are not alone. No one talks about the darkness that accompanies awakening or the grief. Not only grieving the life and illusions you once had, but the realization that almost everything you thought you once knew is a lie. The beliefs you've held, people you've trusted, mind, uh, principles you were taught, all lies. Shattering illusions is rarely an enjoyable experience. There's a considerable amount of discomfort that comes with growth, and the grieving process doesn't stop there. With these newfound realizations, you find yourself grieving all over again. Grieving the loss of many relationships with people who just don't get it. Feeling alone, being ridiculed and shamed, not only by the masses, but for many of you, your very own family and friends too. Feeling like you no longer have much in common with the people you are surrounded by. Struggling with carrying on, carrying on bullshit, shallow conversations that lack substance with those who are still fast asleep. Feeling disconnected from your entire support system because they can't see what you see. Grieving the loss of your ignorance because ignorance is bliss and reality is harsh. Awakening can be a lonely road, and you will often find yourself journeying alone. There's no way to sugarcoat it. Awakening to the realities of this world is brutal. If you have, if, It will have you running through the entire gamut of human emotions. You have to master the art of diving down to the darkest of rabbit holes only to come out and still function in daily life. And that's a skill people don't talk about enough. Some of you are struggling and feeling disconnected from family and friends. It's as tough as... It's as though they exist in another world. Please know that you are not alone. 
And not only are you not alone, you have an entire tribe standing with you. We may be separated by miles, but we are deeply connected in purpose and in spirit. Author unknown. Unknown email? No, that was a post from somebody, something I saw somewhere. What is happening? I've been lucky. I haven't had to have like any of those conversations. Oh, I'm I'm totally lucky too, for the most part. It's like, people that are close to me have to, but I've pretty much I I you know even my day job, you know, I, I just know, don't I give know, a fuck. Like, I'll just go to my day. What do you think about the well, let me tell you this. And for the most part, people are it's see everyone seems refreshed by it. No one's been appalled except for one guy. Yeah, I know I know. It's I I honestly I think we're pretty fortunate. I mean yeah, super lucky. I mean I've got a girlfriend that's great. Puts up with my craziness and inability to bend. And, uh, you know, just it's just like spoiled. We're spoiled. Maybe it's because we're in Alberta and I'm in the construction sector as well. And it's just like maybe I'm just hanging around with a bunch of maniacs. I think. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. Because, I I mean, I my close friends and families have to deal with it. I'm just pretty lucky to like even people we were traveling with on our last trip, we're talking about how they have to have these conversations with they, you know, they have to choose who they're, who they're going to be around with that are still sort of pushing, you know, what CNN's telling you to do on the news. And, and I'm lucky that I don't, I, yeah, I don't have to. You guys do have to choose. So you have to choose whether you want us around. If you do want us around, head over to America.ca slash support today. Uh, you little button there. You can sign up for a monthly or make a one-time donation uh, through Stripe or through PayPal or whatever you want to do. But, uh, you know, it's the only way we can keep going around here is if we can get people like you that are getting some value from the 553 episodes coming at you, all still available, all for free, and saying, hey, this is worth, you know, three bucks a month to me, five bucks a month to me. 20 bucks a month. Maybe you decide. Maybe a one-time donation if you don't like that monthly shit. America.ca slash support. Sign up today. Support independent free media and help keep the value for value model as a viable alternative to, um, you know, all the other stuff. And uh, we're going to have more of the $50 Dynasty uh, album Deos. Is it Deos? That's right. Right? I think it's right. Anyway, no, we're gonna no, have no. A, it's uh, it's procession is the album. Um, not yeah, right. Deus, Deus is, is one, one of the songs, songs right? I think on Maybe it. Song but... two. Uh, anyway, I think we played the first two. I'll double check. Now this will be the third one. So we'll uh, continue working through their new album, which of course is available now for free on a value for value basis. So check out the Patreon. Sign up. It's on Spotify now. Easy to get to. Fifty. That's F I F T Y, not the number. F I F T Y dollar D O L L A R. Dynasty, check it out. New albums out. Value for value. We're value for value. GrahamHerica.ca slash support. Sign up for a monthly today. I know you've been thinking about it. It's never been more important time to do it. Do it now, please. All right, what's next? Well, I mean, I, I, uh, we were, we were going to talk about, speaking of value for value, so we're putting out a narration coming up soon, I believe, in this feed. But we do also have another podcast feed called Gramerica Outlawed. It's a completely separate feed where if you donate to that, you can uh, pop that RSS feed into your podcast player and get the second half as well, get the full episodes. But we do have all the free ones out there too. And I don't know if that if this uh, narration is going to go, I think it's going to go in both feeds or in, it'll be in this feed for sure, I think. But that's called uh, uh, Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars. 
It's pretty interesting. It'll be a pretty short one, but that's just some more uh, value that we want to bring your way. People talk about it all the time in these communities. So it's good if people want to listen to it instead of reading this whole thing, they can. And then the book that just came out on Audible right now is called Hints of Esoteric Theosophy. And this is this is like some letters going back and forth from Colonel Alcott and Blavatsky to a Mr. HX. Um, these were published in an old, old, like first the first number one and number two. What was what would they call that? The newsletter back then, I guess, the Theosophy newsletter or the Theosophy, theosophy uh, pamphlet or whatever. Um, it's also talking about Swedenborgian theosophy in there. There's some letters going back from Swedenborgians that they're kind of sort of arguing back and forth about the reality of this this stuff that's going on. And then the appendix is called the Elixir of Life, which is really interesting. So if if people want to get a little deeper into the theosophy from a real like this is from real communications, um, talking about the phenomena and the uh what the theories about what it is and stuff and about whether the brothers are real or not the brotherhood that we that we sort of talk about on the show on and off um we do. it's a great it's a great little book i mean but i do have a description of what the brothers are saying if if you want Darren a little teaser from the book Ooh, a little teaser this is, from yeah this the is book. how they're described are this you is how this bro- a quote this is a quote yeah I bet you I can't guess it. Actually, it might be harder than I thought. There could be like six people. Can you guess the human who spoke I'm gonna guess it's Schwarzenegger. <laughs> this is uh this is this is from a letter from the brothers to um, somebody in the theosophical, or they're talking about this letter, anyways. And this is sort of a quote from the brothers describing sort of what they are, which is it's pretty interesting. So he says, "We are not gods; we are men like yourselves, a little wiser perhaps in some things, but less acquainted with the ways of the world. By a course of training involving suppression of the outward and physical, and if you will, worldly sensations and desires." And the concentration of our entire energy on the inner self and things spiritual, we have mastered, some of us more, some less, the secrets of the working of those intangible, invisible powers, of which the physical or manifested universe is the visible outcome. A scum, as it were, floating on the surface, to the physical eye, an absolutely transparent and colorless and therefore unrealizable ocean. We have succeeded in withdrawing our gaze from this glamour-shrouded scum, and in looking down into the clear depths, we have ascertained to a great extent the course and causes of the currents ever thrilling through that ocean and ever agitating the scum that floats upon its surface. Nay, we have learnt how to a small extent to guide and direct minor branches of these currents and so produce effects in the visible world incomprehensible by and unless actually witnessed incredible to the untaught man but we are neither infallible nor omnipotent we are perhaps even wholly free from nor are we perhaps wholly free from prejudices from likes and dislikes and other similar worldly follies many of us certainly still love our country our countrymen better than other countries and people of other nationalities 
We are less liable to error than you in any important matter because we take the trouble to investigate. We can calculate with certainty almost every factor involved in the equation. Whereas to you, half the factors and those the most potent, we mean, those pertaining to the unseen universe are unknown. While even of those appreciable to your unvivified senses, the majority are still incalculable. But for all that, even with the utmost care, there are cases in which we may be at fault. And in the majority of matters, not of sufficient importance to justify the employment of the time necessary for the investigation, in which we form opinions in the ordinary method and on data patent to all. We are only less liable to err than yourselves, because not liable to be influenced by worldly passions and desires. We are not omnipotent. Nay, we are as nothing before the mighty tide of cosmic powers, tide of cosmic powers. We can do things to you inexplicable, miraculous, but they are but as the moving of a single moat floating in a wandering sunbeam. Our lives are spent in endeavoring to benefit mankind, but it is only to a limited extent that we can influence the tide of human affairs. As well might one weak human arm seek to stay the rushing waters of the mighty Ganges and flood as we feeble band of adepts to stem the re resistless stream of cosmic impulses. All we can do is, by some groin here, some few hurdles there, somewhat to alter the set of the current, and so avert here and there catastrophes that we see impending, or gain by tiny canals here and there to lead off minute portions of the stream to fertilize tracks that, but for our efforts, would have remained deserts. You have asked how it is that, if this be so, the world knows nothing of us and our deeds. Like nature in harmony with whose laws and inherent attributes all our operations are carried on, we work in silence and in secret. Like nature, unthanked and unknown, our work must ever be. All earthly rewards for our work, name, fame, the applause of wandering senates, are to us like the rest of these world's toys, mere illusions, powerless even to please. Those who have once looked behind them into the eternal truths above which they float, for as your great apostle himself an initiate, that would be Jesus, grandly said, the things that are seen are transitory, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And well for us that it is so, since our records afford too many instances of men, well on the upward path we tread, who their feet caught in these very snares, have fallen irrevocably, irrevocably as regards this life. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, this is important stuff, though. Okay, I mean, where, I'm sure it is. Where are the adepts in the now? This was 150 years ago. They've left. If it's true, they've left us for dead. Right? Right? Or, or are they pulling the strings? I mean, we don't know. Well, I feel like we won't know more after that monologue. Yeah, sorry, dude. But I mean, it's, okay. it's just, I had it copied there and I went back and looked because the book's out now. So. Adelbrain.ca. Anything else? Yeah. Can you search Adelbrain and Audible too? Or would that be a no, just way to go Graham about it? Graham Dunlop. You are the number one Graham D that comes up. Yeah, All but, you have to yeah, but there's a bunch of Graham other narrators D. too for Adelbrain. So well, I don't want to leave that out. It doesn't seem to work if you type in Adelbrain. A bunch of weird <laughs> stuff comes it up. It doesn't? <laughs> no. Because there's a, yeah, no, it doesn't work. Are you trying it? He doesn't believe Yeah, it. I'm trying it. Yeah. Well, yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah, no you're kidding. Right. What do you think? I just made that up. Well, I tried it with no. Space. I would never lie to you, buddy. Oh, 
Wow. What did you think out of space? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right, guys. We hope you enjoyed our lazy rambles. We hope you enjoyed the chat with Glenn and Mick even more from across the pond. Did that Zoom is a wonderful thing to make this shit all work. We were using Skype before that. That worked all right, but not as good. Seem, Zoom does seem to be a little more flawless. So anyway, we guys, we got you. We hope you enjoy the chat and we hope you support the show. And you know, we hope you check out all other stuff. We do have those Randall Carlson tours coming up here in just like uh, three months. We'll be touring around again in the Washington Scab Labs. We're going to be having a fucking time out there. Check it all out. Contact at thecabin.com for the events. Get in the chats. Get make it up to you chats. Other than that, enjoy the chat with Glenn and Mick. And in the, the song by $50 Dynasty at the end. All right, guys. Enjoy. across the other side of the world. Welcome, Glenn and Mick. Thanks for having us on the show. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's, yeah. It's cool. All the way from Australia. Yeah, this will be fantastic. I want to hear what you guys are all about. And uh, you got your faces all painted. Maybe that'll show up in the uh, in the episode art. But uh, look like real, real shamans over there. <laughs> yeah. So you want to know a bit about what we do? Yeah, let's 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 get like a little bit of background on how you guys sort of got together and how you sort of uh, started this whole this whole thing. Okay, so um, you know my background, what what brought me into the psychedelics was uh, you know basically my experiences trying to uh, stay away from more more harmful substances. Um, I haven't had a drink now in thirty years. It's been a you know that my two biggest issues were drinking and gambling. The drinking's been 30 years since I've had a drink. It's been over 10 years now since I've gambled in any form. Um, anyone who's been down those roads, you know, I went through recovery processes, 12-step fellowships, that sort of thing. And, you know, it did me a lot of good. I did a lot of work in, in that area, um, you know, and received a lot of benefits. But there was always something missing for me. Um, I think... I think one of the hardest things I found in that whole recovery process was most of my peers, most of the people that began that process with me are now dead. Not a lot made it. Um, and, you know... From addiction? From addiction, yeah. Most of the people the people I knew in Alcoholics Anonymous that I, I came into that with 30 years ago, you know, the sort of five-year period from the, when I first came in up to five years, most of those people are now dead, yeah. I've been to a lot of funerals, yeah. 
Yeah, I, that's kind of why it's funny. Before we started recording, I didn't realize that that was your story. And I was talking to you about how I have 14 years, but I haven't incorporated psychedelics into that. But I have no issues with people to do, you know, if that's oh. uh, if that's going to help people out, then then uh, that's great. You know, oh. if I was early in recovery, I probably would now actually do ayahuasca or mushrooms or I probably would incorporate that. But since I've 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 traveled this path so far. Like yeah, this, yeah. I, you know, I'm okay with it. And I'm yeah. not sober. And I would say that psychedelics kind of play a role in me just not having a problem with it anymore, you know, because I never, yeah. I never did an abstinence thing. You know, I just don't drink like I used to. I used to have a drinking problem. And especially when I started drinking, I couldn't stop. And now I can have three glasses of wine and be like, you know, that's good. And, uh, mm-hmm. This is something we're noticing. A lot of the people that we work with, you know, in our mushroom ceremonies uh, are people that are, you know, coming from an addiction background. And not all of those have ceased, you know, partaking of of what they used to partake of, but they're certainly diminished and they've certainly got a lot more sort of, you know, safety in in that area these days, you know. I, that was one of the things, you know, I didn't want to make this, when this all began, I didn't want to make it all about, you know, your alcohol or your drug addiction or anything like that because, I mean, I've been around long enough long enough in those uh, areas to understand that, you know, that people don't get addictions, they don't fall out of the sky on them. These are traumatised people. And we work on the trauma and, you know, and don't place any focus whatsoever on the addictions. And as a result, you know, the people... They heal and they, and they just stop doing what they they were doing at the degree they were doing it at before. Wow, that's great. So yeah. do you so so coming from the recovery community and all? Do you because I one thing that I I do worry about my addictive self is is that I would do mushrooms and then I just look forward to doing them again every week or every weekend or then it would just become sort of more and more you know uh, more and more apparent in my life that I'd be just you know, sort of obsessing or doing or wanting to do them more and more. So that, that was a concern that I had myself and, and so have a lot of the other people that we've worked with from the, you know, from the recovery sector. And I think it, it, it's based on a, on a, you know, just something you, you haven't been down the road yet. So you, you won't, it's hard to understand how that works. But my experience with psychedelics is, especially with DMT as um Darren mentioned before, you're very hesitant to go back to this thing. Actually, that's a good point. You know, I just was thinking about how because of my abuse, even of mushrooms, like usually I was hammered when I did mushrooms. Right. So it wasn't a true, authentic, reverent experience. You know, I bet you I would have a different uh, take and wouldn't sort of need it as often if I had that spiritual reverence for it. I I think it is. It is very different in, in you know, my own personal experience with drinking and drugging was that you know anything and everything all the time as much as you can get hold of and you know until you can't move that was that was always the agenda <laughs> so you know i did have that fear around mushrooms what if i you know what if i pick this up and i i, I want to take it every day or something like that but my experience has been the opposite so we we do these weekly ceremonies where we work with people's trauma um and i think glenn would glenn would agree with me on this we we we're, we're actually quite hesitant at times coming up to that it's not like something we we jump into you know with with relish yeah it's something that we can be you know there can be quite a bit of trepidation about the experience because these are very dramatic um you know quite frightening at times quite hard to understand experiences that are happening when we conduct these ceremonies so 
Yeah, I can't. I can't imagine really getting addicted to it in the sense that you know I was with alcohol or any other substance. Right on. So when did you start this kind of this kind of work with other people, and or or when did you meet Glenn, or is that all part of it? Okay, so we we began. I I began this probably bringing other people into my, my first experiences were conducted, you know, on my own. Um, you know, my first experience with DMT was with one other person. I smoked the DMT. I came back. I said, "What the fucking hell was that? You know, <laughs> what has this happened?" Um, I I knew that what whatever it was that had just happened. It took me, you know, a bit of time to wrap my head around what what had happened. But I knew that it was something I had to pursue. It was, uh, you know, I was at a point, like I say, I hadn't had a drink for a long time. I wasn't in the scene anymore, that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, to all intents and purposes, my life had changed quite dramatically from when I was younger. But there was there, there was just, you know, one of the biggest issues for me was the guilt I carried. Um, I'd been a very violent drunk. I'd been, I'd been a nasty person when I was younger. I did some time in prison. Um, I'd hurt a lot of people. When I, when I started with Alcoholics Anonymous, I, um, I, I ran into a guy from the States named Joe Hawke. He was, he was a circuit speaker in Alcoholics Anonymous. He came over here to Sydney. I spoke, to this, spoke with this guy. You know, something he had to say really got hold of me, and I went and spoke to him afterwards, and he, he helped me work through the 12-step program, which for me involved, you know, as you would know, Graham, step nine, you know, I went out and made amends to people I'd hurt and I, I tracked down 140 people. This was, this was before <laughs> the internet. I think and, that's you know, the biggest step nine I've ever heard of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was crazy stuff. It was crazy, you know, and, and there was people, you know, I, I hunted them down. You know, I just said, uh, you know, I, I really don't want to drink again. I really, and I, I carry so much remorse about the past and I, I tracked people down all over the country. This, this was before the internet. You know, so I'm, I'm just picking a last name and ringing 50 of those in the phone book and are you the person I punched in the face in 1986? <laughs> but I, I had some amazing experiences. that I won't go on about it too much, but I, I had this great big list of people I had to go and see and, and one of the first ones was an, an old lady who'd lived up the street from me and one night I'd got drunk and, you know, in, in some sort of madness thrown a whole heap of rocks on a roof, you know, and, and I, I picked her first because I thought this it wasn't a big deal. I thought, you know, she's going to be one of the easier ones. And I went and saw this woman and she invited me and she said she was very appreciative of what I was doing and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. She sat, down, sat me down and made a cup of tea and she told me, you know, how wonderful it was that I wasn't drinking anymore and, you know, getting, turning my life around, et cetera. And then she said, I just need to let you know one thing. She said, my 96-year-old mother was in the room where all those rocks hit and she died the next day. And, and for me, I mean, it was, it, it was the first time, you know, I sat there in stunned silence and she came over and gave me a hug and she said, you know, don't, don't bear it too hard. And I thought, how do you do that? <laughs> but um, it was the first time, you know, and I've had some of these major perspective shifts over my life and that was a very dramatic one where for the first time I realised I was hurting other people. I'd, I'd never really seen it that way. I mean, when you're down and out and you, you're all burnt up and, and, you know, trying to fix yourself with alcohol and drugs and all that sort of stuff, there's a certain sort of mindset that a person can have where you actually believe you're the only one hurting, you know, and that's, that's how I'd lived my life. I, you know, with the trauma I'd experienced when I was younger, I'd always just thought, you know, I'm the only one who feels like this. And it didn't, you know, and when I heard other people, I thought, you, you can bear that, you know, because you've got a good life and I've got a bad life, you know. 
But I walked out of that place with a different perspective, you know, and I, I tracked down the other 139 people and each one of those experiences was some eye-opener to me that, you know, that brought me out of this, uh, you know, what would you say, solid, solitary, you know, perspective on the world that I'd lived in. And, yeah, so th- that was my, mem- it was an amazing process. I've never drank again. In fact, you know, people ask me these days, you know, do you ever want to drink again? For me, it's like alcohol just doesn't exist. You know, I just don't see it. And I can be at parties and I can be around people drinking and that sort of thing. And, it, and it's been a long time since I, I even looked at that thing as something that I'd consider putting in my mouth, you know. So the problem was basically just removed somewhere during that process rather than, you know, me having to do anything about it, and, which is good for me because I'm the sort of person you tell me to do something about it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fuck that up every time, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> luckily it was just taken away. But to get to the psychedelics, I, I, um, I picked up a gambling problem somewhere along, along the line in those 30 years of not drinking. Uh, you know, I ended up in prison as a direct result of that. I did two and a half years maximum security prison, which was quite an experience in itself. Um, got out, went back to the gambling, thought this is, this is a big problem. I need, to, I need to get some help. So I went to Gamblers Anonymous and you know began to work with people there um i had a lot to offer them they had a lot to offer me etc you know but the same thing was happening in gamblers anonymous that i'd seen in alcoholics anonymous and that was that most don't make it you know it's just you know and and i tried to work out well, why is it that some people you know they come in they're sincere they're they're in a whole heap of strife etc etc uh, they're willing to do whatever but they still don't make it and I began to consider, you know, well, what's, what is behind this? Why, why, when these people seem so determined, are they, are they just, you know, going back to destroying their lives after, you know, a period of, of not doing so? And I think it finally occurred to me that <clears throat> because I'd done a lot of work with, with people in these programs that we're dealing with, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous and, and the 12-step fellowships are a really great thing and I'd, I'd never say any negative negative about those programs but sometimes people are just too traumatized and and if if there's no focus applied to that trauma what you're dealing with is somebody who every time they try and make a move they've got a big anchor tied around their foot you know that and and a fear comes up that anything that's going to expose that trauma again um, is going to be too much for them to bear and and as you know generally what they do is they run you know they run back to what they were doing before so, you know, I had, a, I had a lot of things going in my life, you know, um, and what happened was my daughter was admitted to hospital with, a, with a, what you'd have to call a polypsychedelic overdose. She, she'd taken, you know, 10 different sorts of psychedelics at a, at a rave party or something like that, and she ended up in hospital, and I went in there and I did the normal father thing and, you know, came down hard and you need to do some serious thinking and you need blah, 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 all the... All the all the normal angry father stuff, scared father talk. Um, as I walked out of the hospital one day, it occurred to me I didn't know what I was talking about. And, you know, that's something I, I, re- I really try and avoid carrying on about things that I know nothing about. So I realised I knew nothing about these psychedelics. Um, I began to do some research, um, you know, I, I started to see a lot of the, you know, the studies coming out of the states around PTSD and, and trauma and that sort of thing, you know, and work, they were doing work with vets and, you know, uh, basically, you know, breaking through where no other method ha- uh, had broken through. And I thought there's, there's something to this. The, the point that tipped me over the edge, though, was actually watching Mike Tyson on, on Rogan. 
and where he talked about his DMT experience and he talked about how it had changed him as a person and he no longer thought the way he used to and he didn't want to hurt people anymore and all this sort of stuff, you know, and it had a big impact on me. So, you know, I, I, I got some DMT. I, I had a, an experience with the DMT, which I described before, which just blew my mind. It took me, a, you know, I tried to wrap my head around what had happened. Um, I then got I got online and I had a look at look at you know what are other people's experiences with DMT and one of the most amazing things I found was that my experience tied in so so closely to a lot of the things I was reading online. They talked about going up this tunnel. They talked about coming to this lotus. They talked about breaking through and a, a lady speaking to them. And, and I know there's many different types of DMT experience, but this is one that seems to be common. And that was exactly what had happened to me. I thought, this, this is incredible, you know. And um, I chased, you know, I, I chased up some DMT and I tried a few more times and, you know, I couldn't leave this thing alone. What happened to me, the, a, a big event happened to me. I was away on a trip in Melbourne, which is now about a 1,000 kilometres south from here. I was alone in, staying in a motel room down there for work. And... Um, I rang somebody I knew and said, do you know anyone in Melbourne I can get DMT from? And that was lined up and I went and got a gram of DMT. So I'm sitting in this motel room and, and Darren maybe knows this, that, you know, you, it's very hard uh, to have that psychedelic experience with DMT if you're nervous or anxious or you're worried about who's going to walk in or any of these sorts of things. So I'm sitting there in this room and I've smoked the recommended 30 milligrams of DMT. Nothing's happened. I'm quite, you know, I'm, I'm quite, you know, I'm in the motel room, there's doors banging all over the place, so, you know, the anxiety's there. I've smoked another 30 grams, 30 milligrams to see if anything had happened. I've done this over and over until I've smoked the whole gram of DMT and nothing's happened. And, you know, I'm, I'm considering maybe I've brought some dodgy DMT, you know, maybe the, this, this isn't the real thing. Um, I'd no sooner thought that than the whole thing hit me at once. Um and what I experienced was an hour of shaking and tears rolling out my eyes, and it was an experience of all that guilt and shame that I'd carried throughout the years. The DMT didn't just take it away. It forced me to feel it. Um, I, you know, as I, as I said before, I'd been a very violent person. I'd been a very, you know, antisocial, you know, sociopathic, you know, individual on the alcohol and the drugs. And, you know, carried just so much, a great big ball of guilt and remorse about these things. But DMT brought all that out and, um, and you know, it's never come back. It's never, ever come back. It was something that stopped me in a lot of ways from, from having the life I wanted to have, that, that you know, that remorse and guilt. Um, stop, you know, when you're full of remorse and you're full of guilt, and you're ashamed of the, the person you are at a core level. You know what I mean? And, and I'd done a lot of things to improve myself as a person and my persona, et cetera, but that stuff had stayed with me. When that's in play, it's very hard to have relationships with people, you know, and it's very hard to accept love from people and that sort of thing because you, you, you base, your basic core belief is you don't deserve it. You know what I mean? So with that out of the way, a lot of so many things changed from that point on. Um, uh, I had that, as I said, I had that experience. What then ensued was eight hours. I went on an eight-hour journey on DMT, which, you know, I, I haven't heard many people having an experience like that. Mine felt, what it felt like was happening was something was being downloaded into my mind. Um, and I have heard other people have this experience before. So that went on for eight hours. 
Um, from that point, um, you know, I began to consider how to bring this to, to you know, my traumatised friends, how to, you know, where do we go with this thing? Um, I might just stop there. If you've got any questions at this point, I'll answer any questions because we're about to move into the mushroom, help mushroom. Yeah, side. yeah, yeah, I do have some questions because, I mean, we had Gordon White on and he talks about how you're able to, through these ayahuasca ceremonies, that he's been learning how to uh, to lead, I believe, and some of the shamanistic stuff that he's working on, that he's able to access all these old memories, right? Memories that we don't have. Like me, I've got this trauma and I don't even know where it's from, right? I don't, I can't, I go back to these childhood things, like, and I don't even remember, like I got caught with, uh, with an ex-girlfriend once by her parents, right? We're having sex in, in her parents' room. And Mm -hmm. I talked to her a couple of years ago here and I, 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 I didn't even remember it. I don't even remember that, that event, right? I've just suppressed all these, all these memories, so, I mean, was, was this experience that you had, did these memories pop up and you had to deal with them at all? Or was it how, can you, can you, I know it might be hard. It's they, the they, language they, doesn't even do it justice, but is there sure. any way you can describe sort of how you worked through that? Sure. So they came at me as, as a, a film clip running in high speed, put it that way. And so, I was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So every, every emotional attachment to each one of those experiences, and put this in perspective, you know, I physically assaulted over 300 people when I was young. You know what I mean? This, I, I, I wasn't a lightweight when it came to being a madman. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I'm sitting there with this, with, with this clip of just all these incidents. And it's not just that, it's the way I've related to my children, my partners, you know, people I do business with, all this sort of stuff. And it just kept coming faster and faster and faster and faster with the emotions attached to those experiences just uh, hitting me, you know, like a ton of bricks. If I could have run, I would have run. You know what I mean? If you, if I, and this is a great thing about psychedelics, that they, they actually, once you've taken that psychedelic, once you've taken that substance, you don't get to run. You can try, but it's just going to make things harder for you. You know what I mean? So it, it almost sounds like a near-death experience with the oh, with the with the life review kind of judgment. It almost sounds yeah, like the, that, the mythological exactly judgment. Like. Yeah, and it gave it, what it did do is it gave me a um, you know it gave me a verdict on that judgment, which which is something that I desperately needed. You know, after the experience, there was there was absolutely no doubt that that had been processed and gone. But there was also a feeling that it was a deal that had been made. We did, we just did this for you, but you got a job to do. So you know the eight-hour download that ensued afterwards, you know, to me was, was that deal taking place. That they, they, they were putting some stuff in my head wow. and saying, "This is a job ahead." You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah Darren, yeah. Darren, do you have anything before we move on to the mushroom aspect and get Glenn in here? No, yeah, I want to hear how Glenn uh, here. I want. I'm ready to hear from Glenn. Sure, go ahead. <laughs> Oh, well, I've always been in psychedelics since I was young. Me and my mates used to pick, like, go picking mushrooms, and it was always a big part of my life. I've always, yeah, been interested in it. And um, I was going through, so I was, I was, I was a very angry man. I was used to go home from work and just fucking always be like stressing on everything. I'd be overthinking stuff. Like, I'd go home and I'd be thinking about it for the next week, constantly all this stuff and. I was just going through a difficult time in life, anyway, and so and so was my so was my partner at the time, and I decided to thought maybe I'll start um, growing some mushrooms. So I learned I read a lot of Paul Stamets books and that, and learned how to grow mushrooms, different stages of it and that. And the first first ones that I grew, I thought, all right, I'm going to 
do something in the dark here and see what happens. And I lied down and had something in the dark. My missus went to work at 8 o'clock in the morning and I had this really crazy experience, had this feminine energy calling me in, telling me to go with my gut. And I was like, fuck, whoa. And then a, a few days after that, my mate rings me. He's like, hey, I know this magician down Melbourne who's doing ayahuasca. Do you want to come down and do it with me? I'm like, fuck, all right. So we went down Melbourne. We, we had a ceremony with this guy, Teo, a magician down there. He, rest in peace. He's passed away, unfortunately. But um, we had a beautiful experience. And then I come back and I had an argument with my partner and I actually broke up for that day and told her I need to move out of the city. I can't be here anymore. I need to be closer to nature. So she's like, all right, if you move out, that's it. So we broke up, unfortunately, and I thought I want to learn. This ayahuasca actually, like, made big moves in my made me make big moves in my life, you know, like go with it, go with my gut. So I was like, there's got to be more than this. So I wanted to learn more about it. So I saved up some money and I booked a month in Peru to do 14 ceremonies. And then um, as time went on, I saved more money. I thought, fuck, I'll save, I'll book another retreat, some another retreat. And so I've pretty much booked myself in to sit for two months of ayahuasca nearly every night. I didn't really, I don't know, until this day, I don't really know why I went to that extent. I was like, but I'm thinking now it's prepared me for what, what work I'm doing now. But, yeah, I sat, I sat two months doing the ayahuasca and then I come back. I got back with the same girl, which is probably not a good move. Uh, as time went on, I split up with her after a month and then I met a mixed daughter on, on, online. And found out that Mick was doing the work that he's doing. And then then I started, I thought Mick invited me to go do a ceremony. So we did one ceremony here together with a, with a few of his friends. And I had a beautiful experience. He said, you're going to see this code on the wall. And that night I actually seen all this code on the wall. And then later on the night, Maria, one of the ladies we had here, she came out and started talking to me. And as she was talking to me, I started coughing and like, like purging outside the on the, the balcony. I didn't think much of it. I come back inside and everyone talked about their experiences and yeah. And then, that, and then after that, a few weeks later, we did another ceremony with Mick's daughter and with my part, with my part, my ex-partner now and Mick. And I started to get to do all these weird things where I was like crawling on the ground and making weird noises. And then my partner was like, you fucking weirded me out the other night. What the fuck was going on? <laughs> Like, she's like, you'll be like a gremlin on the ground and I'll fucking rip my shirt off and I was dancing and doing all these fucking weird things. And then the next day she she wigged out on me that night and I thought, fuck, what am I going to do? I come back to Mick's place in the morning and I said, dude, what the fuck's going on? And he's like, the spirit come into you that night and you'll fight that. And I didn't really think that much of it. I thought, fuck, I'll go back home, hang out with Georgina. And, and at that time, Georgina, well, my, my partner at the time, Mick's daughter, was having difficulty with with some things and we we decided to go to my mum and dad's and camp out for the camp out for a few nights just to help her out a bit and we did a little ceremony I only did maybe a spoonful of mushrooms like uh fuck it would have been half a gram and i sat over the, and i got her to lie down on the ground and i played the drum over her body for about half an hour and then all of a sudden i start crying my body gets all hot and i start crying i'm like bawling my eyes over the top of her and then I start coughing and coughing and coughing. I look down at my hand, my hand's all like green and old and shit. And I was like, what the fuck's going on? And we, we don't, I didn't really understand much even back then. I didn't understand it much. And then I listened to a podcast. 
I forget who, who what podcast it was on. It was a lady. She was talking about doing shamanic work. Whitney she, Fox? Um, no, not Whitney Fox. It was on, um, oh, I forget his name. Because, the, I, I mean, because she mentioned this, and I was going to say this. Maybe it'll come to you as I talk about this. But in her ceremonies, she realized that people purge for each other. When you're connected in a group like that, yeah. you're not only just purging for yourself, but you can purge yeah. to heal others. They can purge yeah. through through you. You're like the vehicle of them to, to purge their trauma through. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. And I, I listened to that, and I, and, I, and I rang my partner at the time. So I think I know what's going on. Like, this is this is exactly what's happening, and I was like, and she's like, "Fuck off, that's not what you're talking about." Trying to put me down, and I was like, I was like, "No way, this was fucking happening." And then anyway, a few weeks passed, and Mick was like, "Oh, do you want to come do some work with me?" So I come work with Mick for a few days. He goes, "Do you want to do a ceremony tonight?" I'm like, "Oh, all right, fuck it, we'll come." So like, we had a ceremony started, and Mick was like, "You go in the front room with Stu, and you um look after Stuart." And I was thinking to myself, I just had five grams and I'm like, oh, fuck, this is a bit weird. I'm going to the front room with old mate. I said, fuck it. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to try and see what happens. So I went, I went in there and I put my hand over the top of him and all of a sudden I started fucking like purging and crying and coughing and coughing. And then this fucking voice started coming out of my throat and I was over the top of him pretty much yelling at the top of my lungs. Like, and I'm doing this for fucking two hours, like two hours straight, maybe an hour and a half straight. And they're also at the same time sitting down going, what the fuck's going on? And my mate's like, dude, I don't know how to fucking tell this to anyone. And I'm like, I don't know either. I'm like, I'm walking around the room thinking, oh, fuck, this is what I have to do. And then Mick was like, come into the room. He's like, we've got a young kid out here. He's been through a lot of trauma and that. And he's like, go out and give it a go. So I went out and put my hand over the top of him. And I was in a room full of eight people. And I didn't really know anyone that, that well at that time. And I put my hand over Thomas and I just, it started coming out again. I started purging and crying and purging. And my, my body started to get real hot. And, yeah, I started chanting again. And this was a year, pretty much nearly a year ago. And we mean, I've, since then, I've been working with Mick every Friday night. Nearly. And we've been also, we've been working out how to transfer energy between people and also purging for other people and stuff like that. So now we have people that are with us that will purge for me. It's like as I'm working and chanting, I'll have someone sitting next to me and she'll be purging as well, sort of taking the load off in a way. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. Wow. I mean, Darren, do you got any questions about that? or No, I mean, uh, that must have been intense the first time around. I mean, how did you come to terms with this? I fucking didn't know what to do, actually. I was, like, going back to my – because I was been living in my van then, and I was at my mum and dad's just lying down in my van smoking some weed, thinking to myself, fuck, this is fucking nuts. And I couldn't talk I couldn't talk to anyone apart from Mick, you know. Any, anyone that I brought this up, it really just gave them weird thoughts. And it was just – it was a, di- a very good, difficult time because I had no knowledge. I was trying to look online, what the f- where is this coming from? I sent a, a, a message to my shaman in Peru. He he just said that it's that spirit singing through me, and I got to I got to bring more love into as I chant. I got to use a lot more love, and I'll get good results. But in, apart from information from anywhere else, I had, I had nowhere to really look. I was like, yeah, it was difficult for me. 
What did you and what did you how did how did your sort of journey with mushrooms uh, corroborate with all that or or coordinate with all that, Mick? Okay, so what happened to me after after the DMT experience? Um, you know, a whole heap of synchronicity came into play, and I ran into somebody I hadn't seen in years, and they were growing mushrooms and. And, you know, I ended up, uh, I traded a motorbike for, for 200 grams of mushrooms and, and did a lot of experimentation. <laughs> um, I, I took a, at one stage there, I took a dose 30 grams of mushrooms, which I probably wouldn't recommend it to anybody. Um, it's not for the light, it's not for the faint-hearted, put it that way. Can you take us through that 30 gram experience? <laughs> the 30 grams? Yeah, yeah. So the 30-gram experience was, um, and I don't know why I did it. I just, uh, I really, a lot of things have happened that I don't know why they happened. But uh, I'm alone one night and I've taken this 30 grams and experienced uh, the nature of reincarnation and also experienced that I could basically, my consciousness could uh, transfer from me to anybody else at, at, at any time, etc. <laughs> All sorts of crazy stuff, which, you know, at the end of the at the end of that trip, I had to really consider, uh, is there something to what I'm being told here or shown here, or am I insane? You know I mean? I really need to make a decision at this point, because if I go any further down this track, I mean, you know, I run the risk of, you know, ending up in a psych unit somewhere. Um, what happened to me next after that with the mushrooms was I took what I thought was a minor trip one night and, you know, on the, just on that point, just as a sidetrack there, we've discovered that dosage really has very little to do with what we're experiencing in, in this, you know, process that we're going through. But I took, I took what I considered a small amount. I went for a walk. Um, I started, I made it, you know, I was walking through the main street of my town down here that's, you know, 6 o'clock at night, people still out and about. And I started experiencing what Glenn was talking about before. I started spontaneously chanting and dancing in the street. <laughs> so um, I quickly, you know, I found somewhere secluded and I crawled under some bushes down near the riverbank and, and, and lay there for a few hours. And, uh, you know, anyone, you know, who's had these experiences with mushrooms would tell you it's, it's quite confronting when, when it happens that a voice starts speaking to you, you know, that you know it's not your voice, it's, it's, a, it's something else talking to you. And it said to me, uh, you made a deal and now it's time to um, go through with it. And I had no idea what deal I'd made. Wow. <laughs> but I, I, I was sure it was referring to the experience I'd had with the DMT. And it said, up till now, what you've been shown with the psychedelics is things that you can comprehend, things that you can somehow slot into your current narrative. Where we're going to take you now is to a place that you, you won't be able to bring back the information in any way that's transferable to another human. And I then spent, you know, probably an hour in a place that, you know, as I said, is impossible to, you know, describe what happened there or, or what went on there. Um, after and that, that, and that's at a low dose again, right? That was at a low dose. That was at, at, at I think probably one point five grams. So, major, major, major experience there. My next experience after that was with um, what they call paralysis mushrooms, uh, wood lovers paralysis. You've heard of this? I, I haven't. I don't know. Okay, so it's, it's it's a mushroom that you know grows grows predominantly on on rot, rotting wood. It's a particular species that grows on, on rotting wood. And if you take this mushroom, one of the effects of the mushroom is that 
you you become paralyzed. Is it native to Australia? I'd imagine you guys get a whole whack of different ones than I see up here. Oh, definitely, definitely, definitely. But I think this is something in the states, in or in the you know North America as well. I think you know this. This is a I've, I've seen it on forums where they're discussing it in North America. Up until so, recently, it's just been a shit show, right? I mean, it's been a real crapshoot on what you're getting. I mean, recently oh, in, in Canada, you can. I mean, I'm trusting oh. that they're telling me the strains are right, and I mean, I'm getting my place, my shit from someplace that's that's lab grown here in Canada, and I know a hundred percent I'm getting what he tells me it is. But yeah. I mean, t- ten years ago, you had no idea. Yeah, that's right, and there's a similar situation here where we we basically have you know a couple of su- su- sources of supply, and we stick to that. You know, we don't. Uh, it would be, you know, horrifying experience to hand out toxic mushrooms to your friends. <laughs> <laughs> that you're supposed to be healing. Yeah. Well, I yeah, mean, yeah, not yeah, even, yeah. I'm, I'd be less worried about toxic and there's just really no way for strain identification in the black market because it's just, yeah, you know, that, that's correct. the yeah, black yeah, market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so I mean, I have had a quarter gram and been fucked right up. That's happened to yeah, me yeah. before where we were like, It'll just be enough for a nice little buzz. And the next thing you know, we're all hiding in the woods from the party because we're like, sure. I'm too fucked up to be out there right now. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. So, uh, okay, so just back to the paralysis, and I'll move on to that dosage issue. With, the, with this paralysis mushroom, you take the mushroom, you have the trip. Um, somewhere in the trip, you, use, uh, you lose uh, control of your body. You, you can't... Uh, use your arms or legs. You're um, you're basically trapped in this experience until you know until the mushrooms wear off. So what I did one night, I took five grams of these mushrooms. At the time, I wasn't aware that they 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 would produce this effect. But um, I took this five grams of mushrooms. Um, had it. Had and it you didn't you know? know they were going to paralyze you. No. So no, that was I, a surprise. I, I got them off a guy that I didn't know so well. You know. That's and, a scary surprise. That That's yeah. a scary <laughs> surprise. Were you like, "Holy fuck, I'm paralyzed forever"? Yeah. Well, I, I well, I, I considered maybe. Yeah, maybe that's what's <laughs> happened. But what I managed to make it off the of the lounge that I was lying in and made it into the shower. And I thought maybe a shower will sort me out. You know, my limbs are shaking and I'm I'm barely able to move my hands. And I thought, but I'll get the shower and and maybe it'll sort me out. What happened was I collapsed in the shower. The the water ran cold. I was in there for two and a half hours with the water running, <laughs> running on me and couldn't get up. Every, <laughs> and the experience is uh, when you try and resist this or fight, if you push and you try and push up, it'll push back three times harder. But that that was what it's, it actually feels like. Somebody has got their hand on you, pushing you back down. So um, you know, I lay in that bathtub and I thought, what's the way out of this mess? You know, um, how do I get out of this? Eventually, it's a good thing you weren't yeah, having a bath, man. Huh? It's a good thing you weren't having a bath. You would have drowned. <laughs> I would have drowned. Yeah, I would have drowned if the water was high. Yeah. Any, anyway, I came to the conclusion that you know the only the only course open to me is to just go with this and submit. And the second I I, I said that, okay, well, I'm just going to let go, and whatever happens happens. Here. Um, I, I was allowed up. I, I stood up straight away. I made it out into another room and then I said, well, that wasn't too hard and I immediately hit the floor again and, and I was on the floor for another hour. Um, you know, by, by the time, that time I was quite angry with the experience and I'm saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to stay till I die. I don't care. I'm not, I'm not submitting again. But in the end, what happened to me was, was uh, my breath, breathing was shutting down. 
I, I got to the point where I thought, I'm not going to be able to take the next breath. This is it. I'm going to die. And at that point, the voice came back to me, the voice that I'd heard before, and it said, my yoke is easy. And this this um, broke me. Uh, you know, I, I, I said, I submit, and now I started crying and all that sort of stuff. And I knew I'd heard the term before. And, you know, I'm not a Christian. Um, I, I have no Christian leanings whatsoever, but I was raised in, in, you know, to go at Sunday school and that sort of thing. And I knew where I'd heard it before. It was what Jesus had said. What was it again? My yoke is easy. And it was said to me in a way, I think it was said in that Christian terminology, you know, so that I would understand what was meant. And what was meant that I, I must submit. There's no way to continue this path without submitting. Um, but when I do submit, it's, it's not going to be a heavy load, you know. From that point on, I began to experience, you know, what Glenn described, the chanting, the, the, the purging, all that sort of stuff, you know. At the time, we were, uh, we were experimenting. Me and two friends were trying this on a Friday night and seeing what happened. And, and you know, um, yeah, I think the question you asked Glenn before, how, how do you slot this into, you know, how do you make sense of what's going on and how do you, how do, you deal with it? You know, um, we began to experience all sorts of crazy stuff. You know, somebody would come in and they'd lay on a lounge, they'd take five grams and the rest of the room at certain points throughout the process would all start crying. And I don't mean they're, they're pretend crying or they're making the noises. They're, they've got snot running out their noses and they're sobbing. And, and when the ceremony was over, the person on the lounge would be saying, I, I felt all that leaving me as as you were doing that, you know, <laughs> yeah. So you know, crazy experiences with it. Yeah. So were you both experiencing this, um, this chanting apart, like before you met each other? No, no, no. Well, I, well, I had some sort of weird experiences on ayahuasca where I was sort of like, it all had to do with me reaching this light. Right. And then on the 13th ceremony, I reached this light. It was like this thing come out of me, like laughing. <laughs> rolling around on the maloka and doing all these weird things. Now when I think back, it's, it sort of was very very similar in a way. But, um, no, I didn't. This only sort of started happening after I met Mick. And Mick oh, okay, actually, okay. Yeah, and Mick actually asked me to work with him before this even happened. Before I started chanting, he's like, I want you to be working with me. And then all the chanting, it's like you already knew. It was, yeah, it was quite yeah, yeah. So, so the experience is one of we take the mushrooms. The you know the the subject of the ceremony takes five grams of mushrooms. Um, you know the the people working with them will t will take varying amounts. Um, on the point we just we mentioned before dosage, what we've discovered in this setting is that even people who don't take mushrooms end up tripping and involved in the process. So, you know, we've got a couple of people here, they'll, they'll say, you know, I want to break this week, I'll, I'll be the sober sitter, and 10 minutes later they're, they're off their face and <laughs> and fully participating in the ceremony. Um, we'll, we'll have cases where, say, either Glenn or myself, I mean, we, we had some difficulty working in together because Glenn, you know, Glenn has a lot of, um, what would you say, he has a lot of um, power in this type of setting, you know, with, with the work he does. And it's it's been a case of us. How do we work together, you know, so that we're not tripping over each other's feet and getting in each other's way and all that sort of thing. So that's taken a bit of bit of work to get through that. But back on the dosage, we we've had experiences where one or one of us has has taken none 
and still ends up nothing changes. It's, it's the same as a usual ceremony. Yeah. That person's fully involved and purging and chanting and doing all these things. We've had incidents where we've taken small doses to somehow try and manage this and, and you know, it has no effect whatsoever. Yeah. So can you explain a little bit about some of the results like, or, or what, like, so that how many of you are all together and is it, is it, is that one Friday night for like one specific person or do you cycle people through or? What we, what we do. Okay. So to answer that last question first, what we do is we, we have what will focus on one person. It doesn't always turn out that um, that's the full focus of the, of the whole experience. We'll, sometimes it shifts around the room Um one of, we've, we're learning as we go, and one of the things we've learned that if we're working with somebody as the subject of the ceremony, if you've got somebody else in the room who's highly traumatised, and I'm, I mean generally these are ones that you know are, are new and we'll ask them to come along to observe and see if this is for them, and sometimes that, that very much affects what's going on in the room and, and we can't proceed with the intended uh, subject until we've dealt with that person in the room so yeah sometimes it moves around and you know we're working with different people yeah um i forget what the rest of the your question was i think it was more about just um uh the the process i guess and how like the, maybe some of the results of the healing like is this addiction based or just all kinds of healing like physical it's, healing um it, it started with the addiction base so the initial sort of participants were all from the gamblers anonymous program and they, these are people that you know that they're, they're hardcore these are you know people who've uh, done prison time for their offenses and that sort of thing you know um so i'll give you one example my very first sort of you know um what would you say uh, devotee she's a she's a vietnam war refugee you know, uh, her family was heavily persecuted after the war because she'd fought, her father had fought with the Americans and, you know, they had a terrible story fleeing Vietnam through Cambodia with a price on their head and, you know, and then she spent two years in a, in a refugee camp in Thailand before eventually coming to Australia. Well, she came here as, you know, uh, you know, I was alive when the Vietnam refugees came to Australia. We'd never seen people like this before. They, they, they were skinny and starving and, you know, and, and wearing clothes they'd got from the local charities and things like that. And it, her story was she, she came here, she was placed in a school. Um, it was an all-white all school. She was the only Asian in the school. You know, I mean, she couldn't speak the language, et cetera, et cetera. The, uh, a lot of the Vietnamese people that came here during that time have, have done very well in business and, you know, th these people are now lawyers and, you know, scientists and doctors and that sort of thing in our society here, but they they worked very hard to get to that point. So she's a girl that's, you know, highly traumatised in this foreign environment and she was pushed very hard by the family to become successful. She, en she ended up, a you know, a celebrity banker you know, working with the celebrities in the banking industry and it all fell down on them, you know, with all the unresolved trauma and, and you know, fear that this person was carrying. So she was sort of the first person I worked with and, you know, by her own accounts, um, a lot of that, you know, the majority of that trauma is now gone. She can remember what happened, but she doesn't feel emotionally attached to any of it. It's allowed her to, you know, get on with her life, you know, if, if, Physical possessions mean anything. When when I first met this girl, she's driving a car with you know no hubcaps and you know she uh, all beaten up and all that sort of stuff. She brought, drives a brand new BMW today and you know it's going very well in the field she works in. Um, that was one of our first ones. Um, we then sort of we 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 have 
kind of evolved into, you know, dealing with a lot of sexual trauma, a lot of um, rape victims, um, gang rape victims, uh, incest survivors, that sort of thing. These are these are people that, you know, the trauma they carry doesn't allow them to just get on with it. You know what I mean? They, they've, these are people that have bounced in and out of 12-step programs and, you know, sought professional help, been on medications, been on this, done that, done that. But this trauma just, you know, doesn't allow them to have a life. You know, the, everything falls apart on them regardless of how much effort they put into it, you know. And we've seen, we've seen you know, a lot of that. those people turn around. Um, I, think, I think the thing that needs to be sort of understood is it's not an immediate turnaround. It, you know, in the sense that, you know, you've got a brand new person after that, there's there's follow-up work to be done. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, you know, talk therapy, put it that way, which is, you know, just us talking amongst ourselves. And, you know, um, one of the things that does happen sort of, you know, quite regularly is a person who's lived their life in a solitary fashion, regardless of whether they've got a family unit or not, they're still being living very solitary suddenly um, opens up and becomes part of the community. You know, they become part of the what we have going here and, you know, and, you know, people interact outside of the ceremonies and all that sort of stuff and, you know, they just love being around each other, you know. And I mean, for a lot of the traumatised women that we get in here, um, they're basically emotionally stuck at that age where that trauma happened, you know. So we get girls coming here that were, you know, sexually abused by somebody when they're five years old and and what happens is the trauma lifts through the processes we do but then they've still got to deal with the fact that they're emotionally a five-year-old you know they, they haven't progressed from that point so you know that's where the community kicks into play and we, we look after each other with that stuff you know that might be just simple advice advice like you know don't punch that person in the face you know that's probably not a good idea today so so mick um do you maybe we can get to get to you you'd answer a couple questions do you is there anything in like is there a sort of a, a ritual of the ceremony or anything like that music or candles or anything else that you guys yeah, yeah. use to kind of supplement uh, your process Sure. So I like to walk work in the dark. That's one thing. Or oh, sorry, like I, yeah, I was going to get Glenn to answer this too, but sorry, I asked. Yeah, I asked yeah, Mick, yeah. but but yeah, whoever, whoever, it doesn't matter who's. Yeah, who sure. it. Okay, so so we always use music. Music's part of the ceremony. So what we use is medicine type music put out by you know artists on Spotify. We've got an album we use to run the ceremonies with, and that the the, the medicine music has its own. You know, it, it contributes to what's going on. You know, and it takes us on a journey. Um, we work in the dark. We we like to you know sit it, sit in a circular fashion around the room and yeah focus on the person that's on the lounge. Yeah. Anything else you want to say? Yeah, we pretty much got everyone focusing on that one person. So the end of the power is it's very powerful. Yeah. So we and the music it goes through different stages of the ceremony, brings it up and brings it down, and helps us helps us with the work. Yeah. yeah. How many, what's the max or like, what's the average amount of people that you have? Cause I was just thinking about like Lynn McTaggart's power of eight intention groups and stuff. I mean, there's also, you know, a really interesting power um, uh, increase when you've got a group of people, even just with oh, intention yeah. without the psychedelics. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Sure. Fully. It just brings in a lot more power and energy into the ceremony when everyone's concentrating on that. And then with the music and all that, it definitely helps a lot. Eight, eight to 10 is our usual number on yeah. a ceremony. Yeah. Um, we've had larger numbers. I think we've had 14 here at, at one time, but it gets quite hard to sort of manage yeah. that amount of people though. Um, 
it, when when we're conducting the actual ceremony, if if people in the room are losing focus, it's felt. You know what I mean? You feel that person drop out of the drop out of the energy field for want of a better word, energy field. I think so. Yeah. Probably a good, good description yeah. of it. So, you know, the more people you have, the harder it is to manage that sort of thing, just movement in the room and disturbance and, you know, people going off for a chat and that sort of stuff can be quite sort of, you know, unsettling to the whole thing. Yeah. Is there pretty good feedback from people? And, like, have you guys thought about maybe splitting off and doing your own ones so that you can yeah. do more people? Or, I mean, especially yeah. with... It's been a constant question for us is, is how to evolve this. And, you know, if we really think we're doing something that's helping people, you know, how to, how to bring that to a wider audience. Um, organically, at, organically, yeah, right? Yeah, Without yeah, sort of yeah, pushing yeah. it. Because it came to you guys organically, right? It's almost like you got to wait for sort of the right time or... The yeah, right, so, yeah. the, the way it was meant to happen. But yeah, we're learning along the way too. We're learning, you know, that growth isn't, um, you know, numbers isn't what it's about. I think um, one of the important things we found that you've got to get the core unit right. You know, if we could just keep bringing in new people, we'll, we're leaving behind people who've already started the process, you know, and, and need some further work, that sort of thing. I mean, um, Graham, you know, I'm assuming you've experienced um, 12-step fellowship and, and what happens there. I was involved in a lot of groups, formation of groups in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm, I'm really, really conscious of the mechanics that destroy those things. And if you grow too fast in, in any sort of area like that, what you end up with is, you know, a lot of enthusiasm but not much base, not much solid base. So, you know, we're determined to get things right with the people we have and then gradually bring people in, that sort of stuff. But we have considered, you know, splinter groups and all that. And I think, you know, I think that's perhaps, you know, one of the things that will happen organically in the future. Yeah. Yeah. It's no, I growing. agree. Yeah. Go ahead, Glenn. I say it's just growing. Like every, it's it started off with only a few of us in the living room. I think we've had about 14 to 16 people or more like that have been coming here every now and then. So it's, it is growing and it is getting to the stage where we're like, well, like, what are we like? We'll have to start doing more ceremonies or something like that. But it's difficult, you know. We've got to live our daily lives and we need to make money and stuff like that on top of it. And then we're doing these ceremonies on Friday night and pretty much I don't sleep most nights and then I've got to go back to work on Monday. It is get does get a bit. Yeah. And so just on that point, there's no – we we accept no money for this. We we made that decision right from the start. No money to be involved. We don't, we don't sell mushrooms to people. We don't charge them for the ceremony process. It's it's got nothing, you know. We we've determined to keep that out of it. Yeah. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I totally to agree with being careful on how to grow it. I mean, I was part of a Buddhist recovery group, and we grew really fast too. And then it split off, and then sort of fizzled out a little bit, you know, afterwards. Sure. And I just got it got too much for the people that were running it, you know. And we all ended yeah. up just sort of letting it go at the at the same time and just passing it on to other people, you know. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But. And I think the thing you would have found in 12-step groups as well, if it grows too fast without a solid base, the cracks appear pretty pretty quickly and that comes in the form of people forming cliques and fighting and, you know, I don't like this one and this one doesn't like that one and all that sort of stuff, which is what happens when the people haven't actually healed, you know. Yeah. Let's yeah, and and also you got to make you got to make sure that the people that are with you are reliable and you need to take your time well, with, you know. Well. I mean, the next thing you know, there's a bunch of flakiness going on or people that yeah. say they're going to do stuff and they don't follow through. And I mean, you got to make sure you got all that right first. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Cause we have to, it's important to have that. We, we, we accept so be a safe space. 
That's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Safe space, fully. sure. Yeah, we accept that people coming here are quite. You know, they're sick. You know, they come there. They're, they're drug addicts. They're, they're whatever gamblers. These people, you know, that by nature they're con artists. You know, they're, they're all sorts of dangerous things. But um, you know, and I think that for us, that's a weight of numbers. You know, we need to have the healed members outnumber the outnumber the unhealed ones at all times. Yeah, that's a good point. Has it changed at all for you guys the process of this kind of like this? I mean, I don't know if Eve channeling is that a good description? I mean, you guys I think are sort of channeling is probably on the money. I think you know we describe it as possession, and we feel that as a physical thing. You know, we take the mushrooms, we put the music on, and then we feel you know our bodies begin to shake, and all sorts of crazy stuff happens, and then suddenly you know you're up dancing and speaking in speaking in languages, you know, and, and everybody that listens to it believes it is a language of some talk, sort that we're speaking. You know, um, yeah, but I, you know, I've always described it as a spirit possession. Is yeah. that is that is that a, is it still the same? Is it as easy right now? Is it change that process changed at all for you? I think it's got easier, and I think what's happened over time for me anyway, and I'm assuming it's the same for Glenn, is that you know, originally you have to somehow you know sort out. You've got you've got your day to day person who you think you are, and then you've got this crazy stuff happening on a Friday night. You know, it's, it's like you know what happened there. You know, and my experience with the ceremonies is that probably I described as I'm five percent present for it. So ninety five percent of the work's been done by something else, and and I'm I'm an observer in that. So reconciling you know that sort of stuff going on in your life with your normal daily life was very difficult at the beginning. But what happens over time is the two integrate. So, um, you know, what's going on on a Friday night has become the majority of my personality these days, I would say. Where would you like to see that go? Where would you, in a perfect world, where would you like to see that in five years? Um, I'd like to see it in people's families. I'd like to see them doing mushrooms together and learning about it and growing. I'd like to see the education coming out of, yeah, like of people having these experiences, not even knowing what's going on, be like, well, what? Like they're they're rolling down on the ground and making these strange noises out of the throat. They've got no one to talk to. Kind of need something. So, because when it was happening to me, I didn't have anywhere to look. I didn't know where to go. And maybe this information can be like, hey, if this stuff's happening, maybe you can hone in on it, and maybe you can work on something, and you might have the abilities to be able to help others. Which is the end goal. The more the more healers we got on the earth, especially ones who don't aren't in it for their own like they they want to help others. I think it's a great opportunity. Sure. One of the things I see developing is that you know the the is mushrooms being worked into the medical field. This is this is happening you know globally at the moment. That it's you know trials and and they're doing the same thing here in Australia. Um, from my perspective, mushrooms would be a very, very difficult thing to confine to a clinical setting because the mushrooms don't work on a, you know, on that physical plane that's well up, that can be well understood by science. I just don't see how you break it down to its parts like that. You know, our experience with mushrooms is that what they do is they allow us to work within other dimensions for want of a better word and bring that bring that back down here and, and actually create effects in this dimension with that so yeah i'm kind of you know i think um somewhere i think they're going to try and make it 
you know, a, a clinical type process. And I think that's going to fall short somewhere. And, and what they're going to need to bring into it is the mystics and the shamans and the, you know, and the people that, you know, know that territory well. It's it's a, something that can bring all all these desperate groups together too. disparate groups. I mean, you know, whether whatever side of the spectrum you're on or the belief system, most people think mushrooms are, are good, you know, as far as like, I was on a show the other night with a bunch of left, sort of left and right kind of, it was like a debate on statism and all this and mushrooms was just, everybody kept saying, everybody needs to do mushrooms. I mean, it really is something that could, could uh, bring people together. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, coming from a background where I've been in the prison system, I think it should be, you know, it should be mandatory that, you know, they're taking doses of mushrooms every day in the prison system. I think it would change the whole thing, you know. Same with the government as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. This has been Well, great. I think yeah. that's the thing is people have to remember is we don't know what shamans look like in the year 2020. I mean, we have this preconceived notion of what they look like you know, 200 years ago or 300 years ago from the indigenous cultures that, that still have them. But I mean, we fucked all those cultures right up and they're eradicated in, in many senses. So we're going to have to find these shamans from somewhere and we should probably not be too judgmental or too quick to, you know, I mean, I, I welcome you guys to the spectrum, and I wonder if that's something you guys deal with. Do you guys get much pushback? No, not really, because I think I think number one, we're working in a small circle, you know, so we're we're not really talking to a lot of people that are engaged with what we're doing. Um, the term shaman does it apply to us? We don't know. This this is something that's fallen on us rather than something we went. You well, know. That's what it's. That's what it's supposed to be for shaman, though. You're not chosen, right? Or you, oh, sorry, yeah. you, you know, you get chosen, basically. You get chosen, you know. Yeah. We we uh, you know we've certainly done some research on how shamanism works in other cultures and some of the aspects of it. And you know, some of the alignment there is you know both me and Glenn have had major back injuries. That seems to be something you know, especially in the Mongolian shaman world. That's that seems to be a requisite for shamanism is to, you know, have undergone some great physical pain. Um, you know, I've had, a, you know, I know myself, I've had a very painful life, which, you know, uh, I'm not scared of death, um, which helps when you're working with people, you know, we're required to actually carry the burdens of others. So, you know, if you're scared of doing that, you know, you may not be effective in that field. When I work with somebody's pain, I'm, I'm okay, whatever it is, let's do it, you know. Yeah. Do you, but, yeah. Does any does anybody uh, try and guess what language that is, or hear what language that you, that you're speaking? Do you think it's different well, tongues, or? Well, sometimes I'm definitely speaking Rarotongan, which is a Polynesian language, because we have a Rarotongan person here who understands it and says, "Yeah, that's what you were talking." Wow. <laughs> which is okay. No idea how that happens, but uh, yeah. And other times, yeah. it's something else. You think? Yeah, well, it depends. I, I know for myself, I go through a process in these ceremonies. So what will happen is initially, you know, a spirit that I'm familiar with will, will come in and, and begin to work the process. And what I do is when I come up against difficulties, you know, I raise my hand and I ask for help from something bigger. So there may be a progression of this spirit possession going on and they may all speak different languages. Yeah. yeah, that's so fantastic. Do you guys uh, do you guys use a specific strain for this? Is there one that works better than others for this type of process? 
Well, I, I, there's ones we prefer. Yeah, we we ones we prefer, but they're all kind of. But we haven't seen it not work yet. Yeah, regardless of what we're using. So yeah, yeah, it's 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 every single ceremony. This has been happening to us. Like I'll have I'll have fuck all. I have a gram or something. I'll come down and sit next to someone, and automatically I'm spewing and crying and spewing and crying and spewing and crying, and then whatever. Or I can even do it without it now. It's like Mick's been in ceremony, and I've sat with him and. He's been lying on the ground, and I'd just start chanting over the top of him. And Pretty just soon you'll just be puking all the time. All, whatever you go out, you'll just be like, oh, God. <laughs> I don't know. It's something to do with the ceremony. When I'm in the ceremony and I'm, and I, it's just, it just happens still. I can stand over the I can help him through the ceremony. Like um, he'd be lying on the ground, and I'd stand over the top of him, and, I, and he'd feel me take it out of him. Yeah. So I'll just, but if I'm not taking any mushrooms on the night, that's what I'll do. Yeah. Kind of thing, but when I'm on the mushrooms, it's like I'm. It's like I'm fucking so powerful. It's not funny. It just all this energy comes into me. It's like a, the more mushrooms I take, the more powerful shaman I am. Have you seen anything physically come out of people at all? Like, like I, I remember witnessing. We've, we've had witnesses yeah. in the room describe that many times. Yeah, yeah. So I'll be chanting on someone's head, and and Maria would see that see the black demon coming out, mm-hmm. and and it's like I mean, it's like I'm enticing it to come out. I'm looking at the subject and I'm like, it's like I'm full on like I'm I'm a, I'm making it aggressive towards me to want to come out. It's like I'm I'm enticing it, enticing it through the whole ceremony. And people can see them see it getting lifted at certain times when I chant when I chant harder, they say fucking go deeper, deeper. So that the deeper that I get, the more the more I get comes out, I think. Yeah, so you, you'll, you'll see you'll see the people, the subjects that begin to shake at certain times or, they, you know, their legs bounce around or their arms are all over the place. Sometimes they sit up and scream. Sometimes they, they you know, they might burst into laughter. Sometimes the tears suddenly start flooding out and this will be in direct relation to something that's happening in the room, being conducted by the shamans in the room, and, and you know, everybody in the room can see this taking place. You just wave this over this person's head and they sat up and screamed, you know, and this is somebody who's lying there with their eyes closed. So, I mean, there's a fair bit of physical evidence of what's going on. I don't know how it would look if you filmed it, you know, or it may just look like a lot of crazy people. I don't know. <laughs> Some things are meant to be filmed. I don't think so, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah I get that feeling. Maybe yeah. you just wouldn't be there like Dracula. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the time when, when, when dispensaries and when mushrooms are kind of more accepted and and Graham just, called know, people it. can do this. I called this it guy called ago. it like eight nine years ago. He's no, like, no, I'm no, telling no. you, like there's gonna be ago. mushroom dispensaries, and I was like, bro, you're fucked. And now there's online mushroom dispensaries. In Vancouver, there's mushroom dispensaries. In my lifetime, you'll be able to buy mushrooms in probably every major city in Canada. You guys have legalized weed there, yeah? Yeah. You, you can yeah. go buy weed at the shop now, yeah? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And you can buy all sorts of psychedelics online, and they come right to, in Vancouver, yeah. Okay. Oh, that's lucky. So, so you can order mushrooms acid, mushrooms, you name it online here. Yeah, it's crazy. So mushrooms aren't, le- aren't, aren't illegal in Canada? They are technically illegal, yes. Okay. Uh, they're technically but, illegal, but, but there's a giant gray area. You can okay. order them on the line. 
No, and no, but in you were Van- saying in Vancouver. In Vancouver. But Vancouver is, you know, a little detached from reality. Let's be honest. <laughs> you can also Vancouver. just have fentanyl in Vancouver, too. That's fine. It's fine. Yeah, but there's not, there's not a dispensary for fentanyl. I mean, you know. There is once you can't get in trouble for having it. There's probably about 50 dispensaries down there that look, they're called bodegas. Okay. Actually, I think a bodega might be just for weed. I don't know. I'm so, probably talking yeah, out of so my ass get, here. So it's get you know it's getting there. I don't know if it's officially decriminalized in BC or I think BC just did something with hard drugs, didn't they, Darren? Or yeah, that's what I'm de- saying. You can't. You're allowed to possess fentanyl and shit in BC now. It's okay. Wow. And maybe that is the way to do it. I don't. I'm not convinced. I'm not. I'm not convinced that. From, from my own perspective, I, I, I'm not sure that you know distribution of mushrooms is a wise thing without without some sort of framework that that's done. I'm you know I'm not keen on the whole clinical model to do that. You know the medical type. You know blending the two, but um, I think there definitely needs to be some mentorship. You know, yeah, where people can ask questions or, or get some instructions and that sort of thing. I think mushrooms can be quite confronting, you know, if, if for the unwary. If you think you're taking something that's a little bit stronger than weed or it's a similar effect, you know, or it's a party drug or something like that, I think people can really mess themselves up with it. Yeah, well, life can be pretty confronting too if you're doing it right. I mean, that's yeah. all the fun. That's part yeah. of the fun. That's probably why some of us get get so caught off guard by some of these psychedelic experiences because we're just like leading and you know like just a a small fraction of the life that we're capable of of the interactions and the everything you know you're just like we're all we're we're all npcs to a certain extent i would i would imagine i used to be a much bigger npc but i can still get some pretty npc now and again, I mean, when I go shoot my bow for an hour over and over again, that's probably an NPC to some people at a certain level. Maybe it is. And what's, what's NPC? Non-player character. It's like, uh, you know, definitely what I was when I was watching 82 hockey games a year and however many yeah. football games there was. And then, you know, all the sitcoms and whatever new show was out. Basically, sure. spend all your free time watching programming or something that the Trapped in the matrix. You in mean, the yeah. matrix, NPC. Yes, all very similar terms. Same thing. Okay. okay. Yeah. Then apples, not apples and oranges. I guess apples and other kinds of apples. Before, <laughs> before I forget, maybe we should talk about that art artwork you sent over. Glad. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very. It sort of represents something that I've seen in my experience. Over the, over the past few times, I've seen this sort of snake-like creature. With like Mother, I- Mother Ayahuasca almost? Or they- oh, no, Mother Ayahuasca was very beautiful. She was like a beautiful lady. I had many experiences. I met Mother Ayahuasca. She was sort of like, one time she was a serpent snake. She'd come up, she's come towards me, hit me in the chest, and just all this light coming out of my chest. I was on the toilet just like, <laughs> Like, I, I met her many times. This is very different. Very, very different. Yeah, these are like, I don't know what those snake things were, but they're all just flying, they're coming around me, and I've seen him in different um, different areas of, it's yeah, it's sort of representation of that. Oh, okay. And what about the sort of the hieroglyphics or the... the yeah, so the, the code, is something that I, the code is something that I see very, very regularly in every trip. I see this kind of type of code. And I also see this type of code in like Alex Gray's art. And his and his wife's art, 
and I see it in lots of people who represent that who, who in the mushrooms. They also do the same sort of code. It's really strange. Yeah. So that's what that represents. That's and that's what you meant said earlier something about code on the wall. Yeah, yeah. That was a similar sort of code. It's sort of like this Aztec code that that I seen on the wall that night. And I see that through every experience that I have now. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, it's super crazy. And then, oh, like I was online on Instagram. I, I run over a tattoo artist there, and I'm like, he's got exactly the same code in it. Wow, really? I run him a bit. I'm still tripping in the water looking at this guy's art. I'm like, holy fuck. And I'm, I write him a message. So you in the mushroom? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's- yeah, I'd love to try and decode some of that or to try. Yeah, to see I, I've never seen that. I've from. seen like the red and green all the time, you know, where it's like the, the matrix. Yeah, there. It's yeah, always yeah. red and green. It's always red yeah, and green yeah. for me. You guys yeah, know yeah. what I'm talking about. You bet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. This has been great, guys. Is there anything else you want to get out there before we wrap this up? Oh, we'll probably think of that later. Yeah, <laughs> as soon as you get off, we should have told them this. Yeah, yeah, there's so much stuff that we, we probably we probably missed, but it's it's been a pleasure to be on your podcast. Yeah, you. no, this has been fantastic. A nice yeah. fresh episode with some cool guys. I mean, maybe we can have you back on after a year, after you know, a year, see how things are going. I mean, it's really yeah, something yeah. that I'd love to. I'd love to follow it and see how how you guys are doing there. You know, I think it's sure. great what you're doing and any kind of. Anything that helps people healing from addiction. I mean, we're losing the battle of addiction right now. I mean, it's not it's not going well. I mean, you know, you mentioned AA, well. but it's the same as all these other treatment programs and recovery. It's like five, ten percent max, you know. Yeah. People don't people people don't make it. So more people will make it with mushrooms. That's why we want these podcasts out. It's, we need action. We need help. People yeah, need help. and maybe people will hear it and they'll be doing similar things in other parts of the world, you know, or maybe they'll be yeah. inspired to inspired to continue with, I mean, you know, it's a must be a hard thing to, to kind of uh, sort of accept and acknowledge when it happens to you. So maybe this will give people some courage to. Yeah, I think, and that's what Glenn was saying before. I think that is the benefit of what, you know, putting putting this out there. So weed's not legal in Australia? You guys don't have that fucking figured out yet? Weed's not legal? Weed, weed's not legal in Australia? No. no. None of the states or nothing? No. no. Oh, it's actually legal in the um, in Canberra, which is, you know, the capital of Australia. Is it like a is it like a serious thing or pretty easy to get? It's become it, weed. Weed's everywhere, so it's it's become less and less. I mean, you know, they they've they're now doing random testing of it, roadside testing to see if you're under the influence of of cannabis. But the um, a lot of the magistrates throw it out because you know, well, when did you smoke it? Now, or prove six it, weeks yeah. ago, prove know? it, bitch. I got a better lawyer than me. Well, maybe I'll make it to Australia one day. I would love to come to Australia. I got a little nervous after you guys got a little crazy with the COVID stuff, but then we got just as crazy, and it's like, what's the difference? Oh, yeah. But uh, I no, mean, it's here on a Friday night. If I we're, come we're there, gonna... I will eat mushrooms with you guys, a hundred percent. We're gonna fix you. I got to cut. Well, okay, I, I can always be fixed a little bit more. I would never be so. So brazen as to say I'm fixed already. That'd be a crazy thing to say. You can always use a little more fixing. And uh, it's such a long flight, but there is a bunch of people we could go see in Australia. We could do a whole thing. You know what I was thinking? We could get in, in touch with the Strong Brothers and maybe do an event down there. Who are the Strong Brothers? 
Uh, is it strong? Evan and Everett Strong? They're doing some crazy, they do some, oh, right. I hope yeah, I'm not I talking out my ass on my name. I think that's the name. They do, Or it might be Stephen right. and Evan Strong. It might yeah. be yeah. Stephen and Evan. They were doing the Uluru ceremonies. Uluru and ceremonies oh, and a bunch of stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Um, yeah. They do a bunch of stuff, that, and we do some uh, events too. So, I mean, it might be a good idea to dip into Australia before it's shut off completely. Uh, cool. And come say hi. I need some mushrooms. And if you guys come to Canada... The mushrooms are on me. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. We'll what, if, what if what if we're uh, talking to local people and they want to get a hold of you for to to do this? Yeah, uh, is there an email or do you want to send me an email? Is there an email or something or how do you guys want to? We'll, we'll, we'll send you one after this. <laughs> so I will. So for the audience, I will put an email in the show notes uh, that they can. Uh, they can go to the show notes. They can find an email for you guys to if they need if they're in Sydney and they can get it and they want to yeah. get a hold of you guys. Yeah. Sure, yeah, no thank problem. you so much. No problem. Yeah, thanks guys. Awesome. This has been great. Yeah, thank you. Keep thanks up the good work. Big fan of your show, guys. See you. Okay, thanks. thanks, guys. Thanks. Have a great day. Yeah. Hey, mate. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that was our chat with Mick and Mike. No, Glenn. Mick and Glenn. Glenn. God damn it. I'm the worst with names. It's because <laughs> if I met those guys in person, I would never forget their names. Yeah, I'm great with in names person, in person. Yeah. I can go to a cat yeah, and was, know everybody's name after the introduction. That was fantastic. Yeah. That was great. That was, was a fun yeah. chat with those guys. Interesting enough, I got a message from Benjamin Grundy when I was chatting. I'm like, what are the chances of that? Oh, yeah. Two That's Australians. Weird. We're talking to two Australians at the same time. The universe is weird sort of thing. We should go to Australia. Maybe well, we still can. Can we still? We, I don't well, know. I, I can't. <laughs> I think you can't. Australia dropped their shit before anyone, before us. So unvaccinated people can visit Australia, but they cannot visit the USA or Canada. Dun, dun, yeah, dun, dun. The strange, West, yeah. the West, baby. Yeah. And France. France is fucked too. And Peru, I heard. And Bolivia. Actually, <laughs> I think most of South America is pretty crazy about that shit. Except Brazil. Anyway. Yeah, that, that was a good episode. Yeah, I, I think it was, uh, it was great. That was great. It was a great episode. Inspiring. And, you know, I love those guys just following their path. And it's just they're, you know, for free on Friday nights. Helping those guys out. caught me off guard with masks. Not going to lie. But it was a great no, they chat. weren't masks. They're painted. They're Sorry, the painted. They're painted. The painted. Yeah. That's what I was trying to figure out at first. I was like, is that a mask or paint? What's happening? Um, but, yeah, Evan and Everett Strong. Strong. No. Fuck. Steven and Evan Strong. Maybe event idea. Have you been to Australia? No. See, no. someplace Graham's never been. Wow. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. We could go someplace Graham's never been. Maybe I'll just go and I could be someplace you haven't. I'll be like, oh, you never been to Australia, bro? <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, big thanks to those guys for coming on the show. Glenn and Mick for coming on the show from Down Under. Big thanks to you guys for listening. Even bigger thanks if you're supporting the show. We can't do this without you guys. We need your support. Help us keep fighting the good fight. Go america.ca slash support. Sign up for a monthly today. Make a one-time donation. Uh, head over to grandamerica.ca to get links for all our audiobooks, tours, chants, all that fun stuff. You can get to all of it from grandamerica.ca. All of our other projects. Support the show. If you love it, we love you. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.
up to the top of the trees The darkness I leave cast behind when you shine